for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters. Modern Talk and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio! Black Clock Audio Tales is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com and Found Item Clothing. Check them out at BunnySlippers.com and Found Item Clothing. Keep warm this winter, keep your feet warm, and uh, if you're over in the Southern Hemisphere, you can check out the cool t-shirts. Uh, yeah, anyone can check out the cool t-shirts, but hey, it's summertime down there. And hey, this is Black Clock Audio Tales, hosted by me, D.B. Spitzer. Just got back from the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival the other day. Man, was it good. Listen for an upcoming episode about the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival from The People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, the other show that's on this podcast feed. And hey, check it out. We're going to have a new show coming up. It's not going to stay on this podcast feed, but we're going to feature it on this podcast feed at first. It's called... Articulate warbling, or that's not rave, that's not ranting, that's articulate warbling, with uh, past guest uh, Zach Ferguson, author, and uh, yeah, so why don't you sit back and listen to one of the many stories we're about to tell you for the rest of this week, uh, month, actually, we've got a month of ghost stories, so, you know, if, if you like ghost stories, you want to listen to them, why not go to pgttcm? Potbean.com and donate. Become a member of one of our various uh, cults or uh, fan cults. We've got the t-shirt cult, we've got the beer cult, we've got the advert cult, and then we've got the spectral cult for people who just want their names and just want to donate a buck a month. I mean, hey, that's pretty cool. And you can always check us out at pgttcm.com, pgttcm.potbean.com. We're on Facebook, we're on Stitcher, I think we're on Spotify. Uh, We are on Instagram, and we are on Twitter, even though eh, I don't really use it. Thank you so much, and hey, ghost stories, rate, review, subscribe. The Ghosts of Red Creek by S.T. To the northward of Mississippi City and its neighbor, Hansboro, there extends a track of pine forest for miles, with but few habitations scattered through it. Black and Red Creeks with their numerous branches, drain this region into the Pascagoula River to the eastward, with the swamps of Pascagoula as a refuge, and the luxuriant and unfrequented bottoms of red and black creeks to browse upon. There are few choicer spots for deer. Knowing this fact, a small party of gentlemen on the day before a crisp, cold Christmas started from Hansboro in a large four-wheeled wagon for a thirty-mile drive into this wilderness of pine and a week's sport after the deer. The guide was Jim Carruthers, a true woodsman, and the driver a general factotum, a jolly negro named Jack Lyons, 
than whom no one could make a better hoe-cake and cook a venison steak. His laugh could be heard a quarter of a mile, and his good nature was as expansive as the range of the laughter. The usual experiences of a hunting camp were hardly enjoyed during the first days of this life out of doors, but his cream did not rise until about the fifth night, when, from familiar intercourse, Jack Lyons became loquacious, and after the day's twenty or twenty-five mile walk, would spin yarns in front of the campfire, which brought forgetfulness of fatigue. The night before New Year's was intensely cold. The cold north wind of the afternoon had subsided at sunset, and only a gust now and again touched the musical leaves of the pines, making them vibrant with that mournful score of nature's operas, which even maestros have failed to catch. In front of two new and white tents, two sportsmen reclined at length within reach of the warmth of the fire, while opposite them rested at ease the guide and the worthy Jack Lyons. Wearied with the day's chase four staunch hounds, Ringwood, Rose, Jet, and Boxer, were dreaming of future quarry. The firelight brought out in bright relief the trunks of the tall pines like cathedral columns, and sparkling through the leafy dome overhead, the scintillating stars glistened with diamond brightness. A silence which added its influence to the scene rested about the borders of the creek below, and gave more effect to the story of the veteran teamster than perhaps it otherwise would have had. "'If de deer run down de creek,' said old Jack, smacking his lips over a carefully prepared brewing of the real Campbellton punch, We's bound to see fun tomorrow, for it'll take us down there by de old Gibbet's place. In daylight, there's no place like it, but after nightfall, you bet you wouldn't catch this nigger there. Old Jack was naturally asked why he didn't care about visiting the Gibbet place that night. Asking to be excused till he filled his pipe, the silence was unbroken till his return. He piled on more pine knots and commenced. You know, gentlemen, that when de gunboats was in the south, we folks had to travel way back here on these roads out in the range of dear big guns. I was gauged by Mr. Harrison in Holland Salt from de factory at Mississippi City and on der beach over Mobile, and I had been making a trip every week or so. Dis back country road was never thought of by de Federals, and we had good times long de way, no shells and no shooting. De night, gentlemen. I speaking of was a Friday, that yous all know it's unlucky. Well, you see, I hitched up Betsy and Rose in the lead, and old Fox and Blossom at the pole, and takes the biggest load of salt that the team ever carried. I starts out and crosses the Biloxi River and Hansboro just as the moon was going down. Yes, boss, these roads weren't no better then than now, and the rain made em mighty rough when you come to the holes. I sat in the seat whistling, de crows is in de pea-patch, and a-thinkin' of Sarah Jameson, what was afterwards my wife, when I felt the off-four-wheel go crush in a hole up to de hub. I'd made seventeen miles out of Bohansboro. I did some cussin', and then went to the fence, about twenty yards off, and took out a rail to prize up the wheel. Then I saw I was at Mr. Gibbet's place. I says to myself, I'll go up to the house and get old Mr. Gibbet to give me a turn. I had gone by there two weeks before and see the old man. 
now gentlemen yer listen to me for what i's tellin yer is as sure as jimmy'll blow de horn on de last day i walked up to de house and dere i saw a bright light inside it showed out fro de windows and i saw shaders of miss gibbet and mrs gibbet on de window curtain sure honey sure de front door was shut and i steps up ter de gallery and knocks with the butt end of my whip i didn't knock loud neither god bless us all gentlemen de lights went out like dat and i hears up a laugh ha 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 how that set my knees a shakin i opens de door and there was no sign of anybody i struck a match and all the furniture was moved out and the old red curtains that i thought i seed was in rags de whole family was gone for sure i didn't know exactly what to think about them strange voices but i started back to the wagon when it lightened and bless god there in the front yard was six graves just made something wrong here said i and i builds a fire by the wagon and digs the wheel out just then old squire pasture came along the road from mobile and he tells me the news old man gibbet cut the throats of his wife and four children and shoots hisself in the head out in jealousy of his wife they was all buried in the front yard and the house was deserted ten days before gentlemen when i hear dat dem miles make de quickest time to mobile ever seed and yous can tell me dar's no ghosts but you don't catch me round dat log house of gibbet's septin sun's an hour high jack looked suspiciously over his shoulder into the darkness and crawled into his blanket muttering it scares dis nigger even now to tell about that night sleep soon fell upon the camp but the impression of old jack's story survived the night and the next day he still asserted its truth end of story nine how he caught the ghost yes the house is a good one said the agent it is in a good neighborhood and you're getting it at almost nothing but i think it right to tell you all about it you are orphans you say and with a mother dependent on you that makes it all the more necessary that you should know the fact is the house is said to be haunted the agent could not help smiling as he said it and he was relieved to see an answering smile on the two faces before him ah you don't believe in ghosts he went on nor do i for that matter but somehow the reputation of the house keeps me from having a tenant long at a time the place ought to rent for twice as much as it does if we succeed in driving out the ghost you will not raise the rent asked the boy with a merry twinkle in his eye well no not this year at any rate laughed the agent and so the house was rented and the slip of a girl and the tall lad her brother went their way within a week the family had moved into the house and were delighted with it it was large and cool with wide halls and fine stairways and with more room than they needed but that did not matter in the least for they had always been cramped in small houses suffering many discomforts and they never could have afforded such a place as this if it had not been haunted blessings on the ghost cried margaret gaily as she ran about as merry as a child who would be without a ghost in the house when it brings one like this and it is so near your school said the mother and i used to worry so over the long walk 
and David can come home to lunch now, and you don't know what a pleasure that will be. It seems to me, David gravely explained, that if I should meet the ghost I would treat him with the greatest politeness and encourage him to stay. We shall not miss the room he takes, shall we? I think it would be very well to set aside that room over yours, Maggie, for his ghost ship's own, for we shall not need that, you know. Besides, the door doesn't shut, and he can go in and out without breaking the lock. And then they all laughed and had a great deal of fun over the ghost, which was a great joke to them. They were very tired that night and slept soundly all night long. When they met the next morning, there was more laughter about the ghost, which was shy about meeting strangers, probably, and had made no effort to introduce himself. For the next three days they were all hard at work, trying to bring chaos into something like order. And then it was time for the school to open, and Margaret was to begin teaching, and David inserted an advertisement in the city papers for a maid of all work, who might help their mother in their absence. For one whole day prospective colored servants presented themselves and announced, "'Is dis the house they want to work, lady?' "'No, ma'am. I ain't going to work in dis house.' "'Catch me a-workin' in no haunted house.' "'After which they each and all departed, "'and others came in their stead. "'One was secured after a while, "'but no sooner had she talked across the fence "'with a neighbor's servant than she too departed. "'Never mind, children,' said Mrs. Craig wearily. "'I would much rather do the work than be troubled in this way.' "'So the maid of all work was dismissed.' and the Craig family locked the doors and went to their rooms, worn out with the day's anxieties. They had been in the house four days, and there had been neither sight nor sound of the ghost. The very mention of it was enough to start them all to laughing, for they were thoroughly practical people, with a fondness for inquiring into anything that seemed mysterious to them and for understanding it thoroughly before they let it go. David was soon sleeping the sound sleep of healthy boyhood, and all was silent in the house, when Margaret stole softly into his room and laid her hand on his arm. He was not easy to waken, and several minutes had passed before he sat up in bed with an articulate murmur of surprise. "'Hush,' said Margaret in a whisper, with her hand on his lips. "'I want you to come into my room and listen to a sound that I've been hearing for some time.' "'Doors creaking,' suggested David, as he began to dress." Nothing of the kind was all she said. They walked up the stairway and along the upper hall to the door of the unused room. Something was wrong with the lock and the door would not stay fastened, as I have said. Something that was not fear thrilled their hearts as they pushed the door further ajar and stood where they could see every foot of the vacant floor. One of their own boxes stood in the middle of the room, but aside from that nothing was to be seen and they looked at one another in silence. "'Hold the lamp a minute, Maggie,' David said at last, and then he went all over the room, and looked more particularly at its emptiness, and even felt the walls. "'Secret panels, you know,' he said, with a smile. But it was a very puzzled smile indeed. "'I can't see what it could have been,' Margaret said, as they went down the stairs. "'No, I can't see either, but I'm going to see,' said David." That was a chain, and chains don't drag around by themselves, you know. A ghost could not drag a chain if he were to try. 
the conventional ghost very often drags chains said margaret as she closed the door of her room and then she lay awake all night and listened for the conventional ghost that dragged a chain but it seemed that the weight of the change must have worried him for he was not hurt again the mother had slept through it all and next morning they gave her a vivid account of the night's adventure perhaps it was someone in the house she said in alarm but there were no ghosts within the bounds of possibility so far as she was concerned but burglars were very possible indeed then margaret and david both laughed more than ever what fun would it be said david for a burglar to get into this house and try to find something worth carrying away so they went on to the next night all three fully determined to spend the night in listening for the ghost and running him to earth if possible but it was margaret that heard the ghost after all she had been sleeping and was suddenly startled wide awake and there overhead was the sound of the chain dragging and just as she was on the point of springing out of bed to call her brother the chain seemed to go out of the upper room she lay still and listened and in a moment she heard it again it was coming down the stairs there was no carpet on the stairs and she could hear the chain drop from step to step until it had come down the whole way there it was almost at the door of her room and something that was strangely like fear kept her lying still listening in horrified silence then it went along the hall dragging close to the door and then further away and back and forth for a while and then it began dragging back up the stairs again step by step she could hear it drawn over the edge of every step and by the time it had reached the top she remembered herself and called david again did the brother and sister make a tour of the upper room with the lamp not only that but they looked into every nook and corner of the upper part of the house and at last came back baffled they had seen nothing extraordinary and they had not heard a sound i'm going to see that ghost tonight david said to his sister the next evening how i'm going to sit up all night at the head of the stairs don't say anything about it to mother it might make her uneasy so after the household were all quiet david slipped into his place at the head of the stairs and sat down to his vigil he had placed a screen at the head of the stairway so that it hid him from view as if a ghost cared for a screen and he established himself behind it and prepared to be as patient as he could it seemed to him that hours so long had never been devised as those the town clocks told off that night he bore it until midnight moderately well because he argued with himself if there were any ghosts about they would surely walk then but they were not in a humor for walking and still the hours rolled on without any developments he took the fidgets and had nervous twitches all over him and at last he could endure it no longer and had leaned his head back against the wall and was going blissfully to sleep when he heard a chain dragging just beyond the open door of that unused room in spite of himself a shiver ran down his back there was no mistaking it it was a real chain if he had ever heard one more than that it had left the room and was coming straight towards the stairs the hall was dark and it was impossible for him to see anything although he strained his eyes in the direction of the sound 
and even while he looked it had passed behind the screen and was going down the stairs dropping from step to step with a clank halfway down a narrow strip of moonlight from a stair window lay directly across the steps whatever the thing was it must pass through that patch of light and david leaned forward and watched down it went from step to step and presently it slipped through the light and was down and a little later it came back again through the light and up the stairs and back into that unused room and then david slapped his knees jubilantly and ran down to his room and slept all the rest of the night next morning he was very mysterious about his discoveries of the night before oh yes i saw the ghost he said to maggie there don't ask so many questions i'll tell you more about it tomorrow maybe and that was all the information she could get from him it was very provoking that day david made a purchase downtown and brought home a bulky bundle which he hid in his own room and would not let his sister even peep at it i'm going to try to catch the ghost tonight he said and you know how it is if i brag too much beforehand i shall be sure to fail he was working with something in the hall after the others had retired but he did not sit up this time he went to bed and margaret listened at his door and found that he was soon asleep but away in the night they were all awakened by a squealing that brought them all into the hall in a great hurry and there at the head of the stairs they found a huge rat trap that david had set a few hours before and in the midst of the toils was a rat why david exclaimed the mother i didn't know that there was a rat in the house and then all at once she saw that there was a long chain hanging from a little iron collar round the creature's neck and she and margaret cried together and this was the ghost such a funny ghost when they came to think of it this poor rat with a nest in some hole of the broken chimney he had been someone's pet once perhaps and now the households he had broken up the nights he had disturbed the wild sensations he had created it made his captors laugh to think that this innocent creature had been the cause of the whole trouble i'll get a cage for him and take care of him for the rest of his life said david we owe him so much that we can't afford to be ungrateful the next morning he took the ghost in a cage and showed it to the agent and gave him a vivid account of the capture so you have a good house for about half the price all on account of that rat exclaimed the agent grimly young man but never mind you deserve it what are you working for now six dollars a week if you ever want to change your place suppose you come around here i think you need a business that will give you a chance to grow and the agent and david shook hands warmly over the cage of the ghost End of story 10by c d i don't know whether you ever tell your children ghost stories or not some mothers don't but our mother though of german descent was strong-minded on the ghost subject and early taught all her children to be fearless mentally as well as physically and though dearly fond of hearing ghost stories especially if they were real true ghosts we were sadly skeptical as to there being anything of the kind that could harm we were quite learned in ghostly lore 
knew all about doppelgangers, will-o'-the-wisp, blue lights, etc., and we could not have a greater treat for good behavior than for our mother to draw on her store of supernatural tales for our entertainment. The story I am about to relate she told us one stormy night, when gathered round her chair in her cosy sanctum, before a cheerful fire, we ate nuts and apples, and listened while she recited an o'er-true tale told her by her grandmother, who herself witnessed the vision. It was a fearful night. The wind sobbed and wailed round the house like lost spirits mourning their doom. The rain beat upon the casements, and the trees, writhing in torture of the fierce blast, groaned and swayed till their tops almost swept the earth. Bright flashes of lightning pierced even the most closed shutters and heavy curtains, and the thunder had a sullen, threatening roar that made your blood creep. It was a night to make one seek to shut out all sound, draw the curtains close, stir the fire and nestle deep in the armchair before it with feet upon the fender and have something cheerful to think or talk about but i was all alone none in the house with me but servants and the servants wing was detached from the main part of the building for i do not care to have menials near me and i had no loved ones near it was just such a night that nancy black died what a fearful night for the soul to leave its earthly home and go out into the vast, unknown future. I spoke aloud, as rousing from a train of thought. I drew my heavy mantle closer round me, wheeled my armchair near the fire, and cuddled down in it, burying my feet in the foot-cushion to warm them, for I felt strangely cold. I was in the library. It was my usual sitting-room, for I seldom used the parlors, what was the use? My books were my friends, and I loved best to be with them. My children dead or married and away. The cold, grand parlors always seemed gloomy and sad. The ghosts of the departed pleasures haunted them, and I cared not to enter them. It was a long wide room across the hall from the parlors, running the whole length of the house, and was lined with shelves from floor to ceiling. My husband's father had been a bibliomaniac, and my husband had had a leaning that way also, and the shelves held so many an old rare work that was worth its weight in gold. The fire, though burning brightly, did not illume half the room of which, sitting in the chimney corner, I commanded a full view, and had been looking at the shadows playing on the furniture and shelves as the flame shot up, and after flickering a moment would die out leaving a gloom which would break away into fantastic shadows as the firelight would shoot up again. While watching the gleams of light and darkling shades, unconsciously the wailing of the storm outside attracted my attention. There seemed to be odd noises of tapping on the windows and sobs and sighs, as though someone was entreating entrance from the fierce tumult. And as I sat there, again I thought of Nancy Black, the old school girlfriend who had loved me so dearly, and the night when she went forth to meet the doom appointed her. Resting my head upon my hand, I sat gazing in the fire, thinking over her strange life, and still stranger death, and wondering what could have become of the money and jewels that I knew she had once possessed. While sitting thus, a queer sensation crept over me, it was not fear, but a feeling as though if I'd looked up I'd see something frightful. A shiver, not like that of cold, ran from my head to my feet, 
and a sensation as though someone was breathing ice-cold breath upon my forehead, the same feeling you would cause by holding a piece of ice to your cheek. It fluttered over my face and finally settled round my lips, as though the unseen one was caressing me, thrilling me with horror. But I am not fearful, nervous, nor imaginative, and resolutely throwing off the dread that fell upon me, I turned round and looked up, and there, so close by my side that my hand, involuntarily thrown out, passed through her seeming form, stood Nancy Black. It was Nancy Black, and yet not Nancy Black. Her whole body had a semi-transparent appearance, just as your hand looks when you hold it between yourself and a strong light. Her clothing, apparently the same as worn in life, had a wavy, seething, flickering look, like flames have, and yet did not seem to burn. In the name of God, Nancy Black, what brought you here, and whence came you? I exclaimed. A hollow whisper followed. Thank you, my old friend, for speaking to me, and oh, how deeply I thank you for thinking of me tonight. I shall have rest. Rest, I heard echoed, and a jeering laugh rang through the room that made her quiver at its sound. I have been near you often, but always failed to find you in a condition when you would be in rapport before tonight. What I came for I will tell you. Whence I come you need not know. Suffice it to say that were I happy I would not be here on such an errand, nor on such a night. It is only when the elements are in tumult and the winds wail and mourn that we come forth. When you hear these sounds it is souls of the lost you hear mourning their doom. "'Tis then they wander up and down, to and fro, "'their only release from their fearful home "'of torture and undying pain. "'I have come to tell you that you must go over to the old house, "'and in the back room I always kept locked, "'have the carpet taken up from toward the fireplace. "'You will see a plank with a knot-hole in it. "'Remove that, and you will find what caused me to lose my soul. "'Have prayer said for me, for tis well to pray for the dead.' THE MONEY AND JEWELS GIVE IN CHARITY. BURY IN HOLY GROUND THE OTHERS YOU FIND, AND PRAY FOR THEM AND ME. AH, JEANETTE, YOU THOUGHT YOUR OLD FRIEND, THOUGH STRANGE AND ODD, PURE AND INNOCENT. IT IS A BITTER PART OF MY PUNISHMENT THAT I MUST CHANGE YOUR THOUGHT OF ME. FAREWELL, DO NOT FAIL ME, AND I SHALL TROUBLE YOU NO MORE. BUT WHENEVER YOU HEAR THAT WIND HOWL AND SWEEP ROUND THE HOUSE AS IT DOES TONIGHT, KNOW THAT THE LOST ARE NEAR. It is their swift flight through space, fleeing before the scourge of memory and conscience that causes that sound. That tomorrow you may not think you are dreaming, here is a token. And she touched the palm of my hand with her fingertips. And as you see, my child, to this day, there are three crimson spots on the palm of my hand that nothing will eradicate. Do not fail me, and pray for us. Jeanette, pray. And with a longing, wistful gaze, and a deep, sobbing sigh, Nancy Black faded from my sight. "'Am I dreaming?' I exclaimed, as I rose from my chair and rang the bell. When the servant entered, I bade him attend to the fire and light the lamps, and I went through the room to see if any unusual arrangement of furniture could have caused the appearance, but nothing was apparent.' and I bade him send my maid to attend me in my chamber, for I could not help feeling unwilling to remain in the library any longer that evening. 
while making my toilet for the night my maid said have you burned your hand madam glancing hastily down i saw three dark crimson spots upon the palm of my left hand they had an odd look seared as though touched by a red-hot iron yet the flesh was soft not burned and not painful making some excuse for it i did not allude to it again and dismissed her speedily that i might reflect undisturbed over the singular occurrence there were marks upon my hand i could not remove them and they did not fade in fact their deep red made the rest of the palm lose its pinkish hue and look pale from the strong contrast could i have been asleep and dreamed it all and by any means have done this to myself i thought but finally concluded that on the morrow i'd go over to nancy black's old residence and settle the question and with that conclusion had to content myself until the morrow came nancy black was an old friend from my girlhood who had owned a large property in the town and lived all alone in a spacious stone house directly opposite my home and who when dying had left me the sole legatee of her property when morning came i took the keys and with my maid went over to nancy's house it had never been disturbed since her death which was sudden and somewhat singular and the furniture remained just as she left it when taken to her last resting place we went into the room nancy had directed i bade sarah take up the carpet and sure enough there was a plank with a knot-hole in it so i sent her from the room and lifted the plank myself and there between the two joints rested a long box the lid not fastened opening it i was horrified to see two skeletons those of an infant and of a woman small in stature and delicate frame in a moment it flashed before me that i saw all that remained of nancy black's younger sister a girl of seventeen who had left home somewhat mysteriously years ago and had died while absent at least that was the version nancy had given of her absence and no one had dreamed of doubting it her tale was so naturally told left orphan when lucy was only two years and nancy eighteen she had devoted her life to the care of this young girl and when she found her sister had fallen she in her pride of name and position had destroyed mother and child that her shame might not be known and had lived all those dreary years in that house with her fearful secret round the box heaped up on every side were money and jewels and a parchment scroll among them had written on it lucy's share of our father's estate i carried out nancy's wishes to the letter for now i firmly believed that she had come to me herself that night to avoid scandal resting on the dead i took our clergyman into my confidence and with his assistance had the remains buried quietly in consecrated ground the money and jewels were given to the poor and the old building i turned into a home for destitute females and morning and night as i kneel in prayer i pray forgiveness to rest upon nancy black and peace to her troubled soul End of story eleven.